Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Well Nerds Podcast. This is episode number 87. My name is Slater, and I'm here with Adam and Caitlin. What's up? Hello. Yo. What's up, dudes? <laughs> Hi. It's been Sorry, a while. Sorry, uh, yeah, we missed last week. It's okay. It's the August grind, man. Like, we're busy. Well, watching's great, but it means that we're tired and over little overworked <laughs> Dude, today today was the today was the first day that our boat had like 30 people on it and i was like what 30 my boat is 150 people on it twice a day oh my day. gosh Wait, what do you mean why do you only horrible. have 30 i don't know it's just died all of a sudden like today was the first day other than that we've had 80 90 127 100 100 100 127 boom, you know boom, what's boom. weird is a couple of the boats up here like well like dude the sanctuary didn't even go on sunday which is kind of weird for a weekend. People? and then they went what's on going monday. on over there i don't know they had like no people that day that was just is, one company but yeah i don't is know is california having like new covid mm-hmm. recommendations it no. is for like like la la and santa barbara you have to like wear masks inside so like on the boat when they're in the galley they have to wear masks inside. So, and I, I still honestly think COVID is kind of having a, an effect because we're not really seeing a lot of foreigners, which is well, where yeah. in the summertime, you know, that's we, we live off of that. So, the, All the, the way numbers through are definitely lower. October, but, you live off of European yeah, travel usually. A hundred percent, definitely. Yeah. And um, Canadians we've been, travel really well into the fall too, usually. Exactly. And Canada's been shut down for a while, but we've been surviving. We've been having good numbers. I think it's just, you know, from like, Californians wanting to go out. Are the kids going back to school? I think they just started. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the kids start going back to school here soon too. But we're, I mean, August is the busiest month. Yeah. So we've been sold out every day. Nice. Awesome. But yeah, the sightings have been off the charts. Um, I guess I'll go first. Um, (laughs) Oh, don't mind me. Don't mind me. I'll, let me just insert myself in here real quick. Um, Santa Barbara's been good. We've been having pretty much humpback whales every day um, and a bunch of common dolphins. Now we're starting to get into the period where it's um, we're seeing a lot of short beaks and a lot of long beaks, which is pretty cool. Um, usually the short beaks are a little bit more offshore and that we tend to see them sort of later in the summer a little bit more. Um, so we've been seeing good numbers of those. We had like literally like 8,000 dolphins today and like six humpback whales so it was pretty rad um we also had an eight hour trip with acs the american cetacean society la um every year they do one with us and we absolutely knocked it out of the park um within like 10 minutes of leaving what dude stop laughing at me for the, knocked pa- it out of the, park. For the patreon people you can see slater rolling his eyes <laughs> dude we crushed it that um, after this one well, it, it was a cool trip because um, we had a bunch of like whale people on it. Um, those ACS trips are always full of whale people. So that was fun. Um, but like within 10 minutes of leaving the harbor, we found three minky whales that like two of them came over and mugged us, which is like in itself rad because that doesn't really happen very often with minkies. Um, and then we had Chompers and her calf. Chompers is a pretty well-known um humpback whale here in california and i didn't actually know that she was um if you look at happywhale.com and you look at her profile she was the first whale ever put into happy whale she's individual one which i never knew but um uh, with the hw identifier right with is the it, hw prefix is that what you're saying is the cr is the crc different yeah. Yeah. Like Cascadia is it would, would be is an older catalog than have happy whales. Yeah. So um, if it wasn't known to Cascadia's well, catalog, th- then it got th- a happy whale prefix. She definitely I was think, not, I don't think she was the first whale submitted to happy. There's no way. No, I think I think the way That's that the system whale. works in Happy Whale, because it's a newer website, you know, she might have not been the first identified with Cascadia, but she was the first input. She probably didn't yeah, have a CRC number. It's Happy Whale. She has a splash number, also known as no. She has a CRC number, CRC ten five three two. So yeah, she was the first individual into Happy Whale. Period. Mm. Who was? Which is pretty cool. Chompers. Chompers isn't that whale like only been seen for like the last two years? No, she has been, a splash number. First, splash was in the early two thousands. She was first seen in two thousand four. With at, at where at? 
Um, I would assume in California. Yeah, in California. She's a SoCal whale. And she's never yeah, been she's seen a, north She has a bunch of calves. She's never been seen north of the, of the channel. So she's a Santa Barbara whale, not a Monterey whale. But yeah, she's... So we saw her with her calf, which is super awesome. And actually, last year when we saw her, she didn't look very good. And we got some photos this time that looked like she might have been entangled. Mm-hmm. There's some white scarring at the base of her peduncle. So we think that might be why she didn't look that good last year. But this year, she looks great. She looks healthy. She has a new calf with her this year. So that's super cool to see her. Um, it's interesting man. to think about the entanglement and she was pregnant last year. She looked that poor. She must, exactly. And she was pregnant yeah it's it's super interesting and everybody was really concerned because she really didn't look that good but then Mm -hmm. this year she popped up with a calf and she looks a lot better than she did last year um so that's good we're we're psyched about that um so yeah on that on that acs trip we also had a really cool sea lion munching on a mola that was awesome he was throwing in like a like a frisbee everywhere yeah um and then we went to san miguel island Dude, they are mean. They're ruthless. Um, and then we went to San Miguel Island, which is pretty cool. Um, one of the lesser known of the Channel Islands. It's pretty far out there. Um, and on the backside of San Miguel, we had a couple different humpbacks. And then we also ran into some killer whales, which is super awesome. We don't see them very often um, in Santa Barbara, usually like two or three sightings a year. So we found some killer whales. Those are the 39As and they approached the boat a couple of times were super friendly with the boat and it was a freaking awesome trip everybody was stoked and you can't ask for much more than that after spending eight hours in the water we also had a couple more humpbacks that were breaching and stuff um but interesting fact or i guess a little fun fact is that that same pot of killer whales is a pot of killer whales that i saw with slater only like five days before which is why slater was rolling his eyes (laughs) it's it's different dude we only see killer whales like two or three times a year in santa barbara you guys see them yeah i'm so sorry for all the killer whales i showed you in one day it was it wasn't good enough (laughs) listen there's there's a maybe i need to travel further away to see them it wasn't the 28 miles we drove to see them for you no yeah we definitely did like 45 miles in the condor so oh so you need to be further away from home pardon us yeah Just can't get, dude. You can't make Adam happy. If I was freaking out with the killer whales with you, you'd be like, Caitlin, you'd be like shut up, off, film, I'm film, film. My, I'm gonna start off my sightings with that day. Let's go out of the harbor, and I'm sure there were some humpback whales that we passed on our way to about I don't know eight eight blue whales I think around the area. But then we we didn't find any of them right off the bat. First we went into Carmel Bay where we found a leatherback sea turtle. So we start off our day with yeah. a leatherback sea turtle. Okay, that, that, that's not that great, though. Yeah, <laughs> Adam we, just already forgot all about then it. Then we went and saw a bunch of blue whales that fluked up. And then it's like, oh, we have killer whales, but they're headed south into Big Sur. All right. So then we traveled 14 miles down to see killer whales off of Point Sur from where we were with the blue whales. And now after that, we go back to blue whales, see a couple of blue whales. But then we get a call from a boat that there's more killer whales up in SoCal Canyon. So then we went and saw eight more killer whales. <laughs> Um, and then we saw some humpbacks that we just brushed off on our way into uh, back into Moss Landing. <laughs> wow! Yeah, was you get a... Adam to Monterey. He's like, I've seen it all. I don't care. Dude, get him to dude, Santa Barbara. First oh off, the God. leatherback turtle beats all of the things that we saw. And you didn't day. even bring it, it totally up, Adam. Did. Hey, what's the matter with you? My sighting. I let Slater take it from there. Here, let me read the post from that day. Words cannot describe <laughs> oh how. God. incredibly moving today was yeah look you at need that. to stay on instagram but you can't even say it to my face <laughs> dude i'm sorry dude i love you slater romance they're having an argument oh he's not my boyfriend anymore we're breaking up <laughs> oh man I'm literally and slater's like, gonna be like we never were <laughs> i'm not taking adam to whale watch no more wow dude, come on. all right boys be nice well well, that was like the second day because I was up in Monterey for like four days and every single day was incredible. But the day after every that. Every single day was nothing to report here. Yeah. I was going to do my Santa Barbara sightings. I was going to let Slater do morning, it for Monterey. The next morning we go out and we jammed straight to the Blue Wells because we wanted like to get there before like Whale Watch boats got there and stuff. And it was super calm in the morning. It was and we, I'm pretty sure we pulled into the area and there was like 
two pairs that popped up at the same time. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what day it was which. There, but was. there was like no, seven there was. blue whales that popped up all at the same time. And they were yeah. all around us. And they were they all had like five minute dives. So there was never really a moment without blue whales. A whale up. Yeah. yeah. And we had a and we had a cow calf pair in there. We had one whale that like came right next to the boat. It was and super then, cool. And then Adam like, had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so he's like, we gotta go away. And I'm like, oh, okay, so we're gonna leave all these blue whales. <clears throat> and so then we ended up go he ended up holding it and we went up to SoCal where we had what Adam? Like five or six humpbacks all feeding six together hump, with six humpbacks in yeah. gorgeous weather. Like the the sky, the, the fog Adam's had lifted. Laying down on the boat, listening to the blows of the humpbacks. Dude, it was so magical. It was just like it was like perfect sea conditions. The fog had lifted. There was six humpbacks, yeah, and they were just like oh, it was so. And then at one point, we were the only boat there because there was so many humpbacks that other yeah, people just us. run other groups of whales. So it was just us, and we were just hanging out. It was just awesome. Yeah. Um, is it still going to be this good in October for our trip or what? Dude, for sure. Uh, yeah, it is. So, so, any, so the last six, I'll just say seven days, um, I took yesterday off, but every single day we have had 10 to like 15 humpback whales within two miles of Moss Landing. Um, now, some of those days we start with them like at like one mile and then like slowly as you get to two miles there's like there's different groups there's like twos and threes there's like a trio there's been like a lot of little trios so cow calf and escorts all over and then they'll all group up for a second feed and then they'll, they'll go out um but yeah so this morning i went out and i didn't even make it to the mla buoy which is i think the mla buoy is at like 0.75 i hit it uh, right when i saw the first whale uh, right when i got to the first whale i put a like a mark on the mouth of the harbor and I was 0.55 from the harbor and there was three humpbacks there there were three humpbacks right there in that spot but like all within like another quarter mile there was seriously humpbacks everywhere and sea lions everywhere and then I see a breach like this is right within like two minutes of my trip with this couple on the boat and I'm like uh like this can is... we go home now <laughs> yeah I was like uh it's kind of tough because like they saw everything all within like two minutes. It's like breach here, all this lunch, fed, peck, slap. And it's like, okay, now what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, so then we went out, uh, we zoomed out to the edge of the bay, but it was kind of, it was kind of bumpy. It was just really big swells out there. So I ended up coming back and watching the humpbacks. Um, but Caitlin, something that I found really interesting in the last uh, week or so is that these humpback whales have been feeding. They like start inside the canyon and then all the sea lions and humpbacks slowly push the anchovy school, which now the anchovy school is the whole canyon, but they slowly push it out into off into like shallow water. And you'll watch it. It'll literally be like, you'll watch your on the sonar, like 125 feet, 100 feet, 80 feet. And then right when they get to 70 feet, it's just like lunge feeding madness, which they were doing it the whole way in there. But like once they get in there, it's like, that's where they finish the school off. And mm -hmm. it makes, it makes sense if these schools are 200 to 500 feet deep, right? Yeah. And then they get it in 80 feet of water that, I mean, the school is pretty much from there to the surface. Yeah. So, I mean, from the bottom. So does it surface. seem like they sort of partition off one section and they push it up and sh in to shore and work it until it's gone. And then they go back out and start again. Wait, so, yes. Yeah, exactly. So, and then they would feed, they would feed and then they would turn back. They would all spread out, go find a new school. And it was weird, like whatever humpback found it, you would just see all the other ones angle and turn right to them, That's do the really same thing and work it all back in. And That's same cool. thing today, same exact, it's been going on every day. It's like, and it's, it's like right when you get into that shallow water today, we were getting right to the bell buoy pretty much. And then mm -hmm. it was like, they would all just like scatter out of nowhere. And then mm -hmm. they would all flip a U-turn and go right back out and you would just idle back out with them. And then, yeah, we didn't wow. actually have very much lunch feeding today. And I don't know if that's because they're just so full. I mean, a, there was a lot of more, like a lot of logging mm -hmm. and like, and, and I did not go over a single like couple feet where there was, my sonar was not just full of anchovies. Mm -hmm. Even, even hearing like Nick on the radio was like, this is a lot of anchovy. Like mm -hmm. all the fishermen were like the old fishermen that are now driving whale watches. were all saying like, this is a lot of anchovies. Yeah. So. Nice. Well, that's cool. That's that's the coolest part about science is like seeing something, making an observation, creating your own hypotheses and just being like, well, and I, I think just, it's so cool. I think over time, 
as this relationship with sea lions and whales continues, you know, this is something that's less than a decade old as an as a regular interaction between the two species. So I think you're going to see those methods perfect over time of how to best efficiently take advantage of all that prey. And then that's yeah. not unusual to see them take a break every once in a while and sleep for the morning. That would happen on those big years that we worked uh, like 2014, 2015, even 2016. They would feed really hard for like five days. And then one morning you'd go out there and they're all sleeping. And, and Kate on High Spirit, she made the actually the captain that we're going to be doing our three-day trip with in the fall. Um, she, she was, her and I have been talking the last couple of days and she said that, um, I totally lost my train of thought. I just, it just went away. <laughs> it's gone. See ya. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, so no, right at high tide. So right around like three 30 mm -hmm. or four o'clock, they all started lunging and it was like, I wasn't out anymore. I had lunch. We had lunch feeding all those throughout the entire day. Like I said, they go in and out, in and out every like hour. Or so they'd be on a yeah. new school. But right after, like right around high tide, which she said, she's like, it could have nothing to do with it. It just happened yeah. to be like those three days in a row. Yeah. She would have a, a rampage. And so what she calls a rampage is like when there's whales feeding at the same time, sea lions, birds, and then there's yeah. like a whale that's like peck slapping, breaching, like when yeah. everything is at the, like, you know, like the calf temper tantrum at the same time yeah. as the feeding. Yeah. And so that's been, that was happening in the afternoons almost every day uh, the last week. So uh, right at that time. So I don't know if that's kind of what's going on, the tide. Because when I get out there early in the morning, they seem to be feeding right when I get there. And then it slows down for mm -hmm. a little while. Then like, I wonder if it more has to yeah. do with the light. I don't know, man. Because you go pretty early. So that's before the sun's all the way up. And so the yeah. fish are, tend to be higher in the water column. Middle of the day, the fish kind of work their way down. And then as the light starts to fade again in the afternoon, the fish come up again. I might go at like five tomorrow honestly yeah. there's i mean They're they were so everywhere. close to the harbor well when i first got out there i'm not I, I kid you not i i just saw birds everywhere and that was another thing they were talking about today they were like uh danny was coming from monterey he's like i have not like he's like there's so many birds from like here to where you guys are and it's like sheer waters pelicans gulls you know yeah. uh, common turns yeah. and then cormorants like crazy yeah. I, I've, I have photos where there's like the whole bottom frame is just cormorants and then there's yeah. humpbacks looking up yep so some years cool. it's like that with shearwaters it's just like i'm not kidding flocks of hundreds of thousands of birds yeah crazy. one day so crazy i worked with this captain um the summer of 2015 who was really into birds like he does like bird surveys and bird boxes he's also a hunter and so he's very good at assessing how big a school or like a flock of birds is and one day from point pinos up to the canyon as far as the eye could see, there was city shearwater sitting on the water, and we estimated it was a half million birds. Damn. Yeah. I have been taking someone on my boat that's filming shearwaters, and I brought I brought them to, like, this along the beach where there was, I thought, thousands, but I guess it wasn't a lot, but it was a lot of shearwaters. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I, yeah, and the, the, the guy was saying, like, no, I'm telling you, like, there's, like, 20,000 or 100,000 of sure. Yeah, there were some times where there were flocks working that were yeah. 100 to 200,000 birds. Yeah. It was Isn't that crazy? It was like swarming the entire. And yeah, I think it was I've like seen that off Southern California where we've had shoe like waters. A, a vortex like of like yeah. 500 yards worth of birds. I've, and where I've they're, where they're diving. Yeah. Huh. You know what I mean? They're where like they're like tornado dive into the water yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And then they're yeah. like, yeah, it's, it's like never ending. Um, I did get a message back because I had to argue with Adam from Ted Cheeseman about the conversing. The first whale that was cataloged was Fran. Oh, really? So why does she have individual one? Uh, he said, ah, well, Chompers is whale number one, as in happy whale individual one. That's what I uh, he, he hasn't, he hasn't, he's, he's dot, dot, dotting me. So I'll have to get <laughs> <back> <laughs> But yeah, I guess I just asked him, I said, hey, is Chompers, um, uh, yeah. Anyways, we'll see what he says. Okay, so I have a question about the turtle. Neither of you posted photos of it. I got a slow motion video of it from a mile away, and 
it went down and then it was what was going on it was super foggy right or something it was well it was like... it was foggy and the turtle was kind of all over the place so it'd pop up over there and then it'd be down and it'd come up over here it was a like, million jellies I, I, was... I didn't even know i didn't even know what it was at first we were like it's, like slater saw he's like is that a basking shark it's a basking shark and i was like no because really are you kidding me it was like the weirdest thing it was like it looked like it because they have their head up you know what i mean and it would mm-hmm. just look like this weirdest dorsal fin and then i was like adam be ready that's something like it's not a sunfish it, yeah he and knew then, it was different and, and then, then like, it, and it was yeah. like kind of, it wasn't choppy, but like it was there was a, weird a little thing. bit of swell. I think a sea lion came up or something too, right? And then it distracted yeah, us. Yeah, like and there's just, exactly. And it was, it was foggy and we were, we hadn't seen blue whales yet. And um, Kaufman had a blue whale, like, you know, a half mile away from us. So we were keeping an eye out for that. Um, Slater does have a video of it. So there is proof that we saw it, but it was a super No, I don't doubt that you saw it. I just was like, neither of you posted any footage of it. I didn't get, I didn't get anything of it. Slater got a little video, but. Okay. So this is, okay. This is really cool. I'll bring this up and then we'll go to Caitlin's sightings. Um, he said the happy whale one came from importing data, data from Cascadia. So you said first ever, the first ever submitted, we didn't start from zero. Um, he said Kate Cummings was the first to say, Oh, interesting. I'll try this happy well thing and uploaded a photo on August 10th, 2015, when we first opened the site. Oh, like on the public oh. side. Yeah. But Chompers was the first from Cascade. It must have been there first. from Cascadia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause so- he was, he was doing stuff on the back end. Ted was for a long yeah. time before the public site was available. Yeah, yeah for sure. Gotcha, gotcha. And he said, and then he continued to do that. <laughs> Sheesh, we're six years old as of last week. Oh, so congrats, yay. congrats, happy, happy whales yeah. anniversary. So, okay, all right, so, Caitlin, hit us. Hit my us sightings. Uh, we have seen a lot of humpback whales on uh, Southern Jeffrey's Ledge, so not too far from Gloucester and Rockport. We, the first two weeks of August, we've seen quite a few Atlantic white sided dolphins, which is nice because. During July, I think we only had two sightings the whole month. Um, so that was kind of rough. Nice. As far as people pleasing goes. I mean, I always like to see yeah. dolphins, but I know the reality of how rarely we see them. But the people are always like, I want to see dolphins. And I'm like, probably yeah, not going to sure. happen. Yeah. Um, but we've seen them almost every day, at least a little group somewhere during the month of August, which is nice. And the weather's finally been kind of nice. Although that being said, I think we're going to have a tropical storm this weekend. Anyways, um, the humpback whales have been kind of coming together and then like pushing back and forth in the area. And we've had a couple like really long-term groups that have stuck together, which is really interesting. So we've had two individuals, Spoon and Chromosome. Spoon is a very old whale. She was first documented in 1977. She's a female. Whoa. Yeah. And Chromosome is much younger. I think he's born in 89. Don't quote me much on that, younger. Much younger than her. <laughs> and he's a male, we suspect, because he's very roughed up on his back and he's never had a calf documented. So they've been together for weeks. Every once in a while, Girlfriend. we see Spoon with another whale, but by the next day, chromosomes back. <laughs> he's like, hey. He's like, I had to take a break. I'm back with my girlfriend i don't know yeah they got in a fight i had a little i had a little rendezvous she took some of my herring no what do they eat they've been eating i think herring and mackerel mostly and then we've had another pairing well it was a group of three for a long time it was valley who's a known female been seen since 1985 and then two suspected males sword and jawa who one of them is older than her and one of them is younger than her and that it was like her and her two boyfriends for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then she finally ditched sword and he's been kind of trying to get in with other groups of whales. (laughs) And then yesterday afternoon, she also ditched Jawa and paired up with another female. And then in the morning, that female was with sword and she was back with Jawa. It's like, what were they comparing notes or like what? (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty cute. That's so awesome. I, I can't yeah. wait till like the California coast gets to like that level. Yeah, where like, you know like, the whales that well. Yeah. Yeah. You think it and will? then like Yeah, I, I think know, someday. Maybe. I mean, think about how many humpbacks were there today. Like Yeah. I, I know it's hard one. because so many whales come in and out of the area. Whereas like very in true. the Gulf of Maine, it's not like that. They're very loyal to their spots. Mm-hmm. So 
um, yeah, so it's been interesting to watch those associations over time. And then there's whales that were we knew were up north being reported by other companies that have shifted back down into the area and they're kind of going back and forth. Unfortunately, a couple of our whales are pretty beat up this year. Um, we had two adults with what looks like boat strike wounds within the last week, which sucks. It's very oh. unfortunate to see. And then reported down south of us, there was a dead whale and the, there was a couple white sharks feeding on it, which is super cool, but it's a calf from last year. Oh. Um, but we saw that whale at the beginning of the season. It looked great. Its skin looked great. It looked like it was a healthy weight. And I don't know if anyone's determined the cause of death. So that's been pretty tough. But almost try? every calf this season is beat up, like has prop scars or entanglement scars or both. Dang. Like, I think I saw the first calf this season today that is not beat up. All the rest mm -hmm. of them have some sort of horrible mark on them already. Poor things. They have it rough on the East Coast, huh? Yeah, well, the East Coast is. Yeah, I mean, I mean like, especially when that, the weather's nice, like... there's a lot of private boaters. You know, there's lots of harbors to come out of Dang. here in a small area. And I think, you know, we had that sentiment shared from uh, Sarah and Jeff up north in Washington that everybody that could afford a boat during COVID bought one. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And so I do think we have a lot of uh, uninformed private boaters out there. And unfortunately like stuff happens and yeah, I mean, not to, not to say that it couldn't be somebody else out there that those accidents are happening with as well, because we were in the middle of watching whales three days ago and a tug and barge just went right through, cut us off, cut the whales off. Yep. came within 200 yards of a fisherman on anchor it's like dude what are you what are you doing <laughs> yep. yeah so it's yeah. tough when you when you really start looking like you you really see you know how many either entanglement scars or prop scars there are on all these different whales and it just is really eye-opening once you really start paying attention to that yeah exactly so have, I mean, we luckily, have two right now in that in those feeding groups that are out front, two different. One has one on the right side of props, and then yeah. today the one had it like right over the back. Yeah, I remember one year when there was a lot of whales in the area. I documented like five or six different ones that only had half a fluke left. Like, where are they? Where is this happening though? Right? Like, yeah. I mean, our not it could be here, it could be Mexico, it could be like on their travels, it could be wherever. Yeah. yeah. You know. So. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the half fluke ones is like long line or monofilament line just gets wrapped so tight. It just cuts off all the blood flow and literally cuts off that piece of their fluke. Yeah. Last, yeah. last year we saw, we saw one blue whale with a half fluke and then we saw probably four or five different humpbacks with half mm -hmm. flukes, yeah. which was a, a lot. Yeah. Really. Yeah. This, poor whales. This population. Yeah. So I have an interesting story uh about an entanglement that our boat witnessed on the 8th of august so it's 10 days ago from the day that we're recording this episode so we were leaving the harbor and we heard a, a fisherman get on the radio on channel 16 and hail the coast guard and say hey there's a whale tang tangled up in lobster gear over here and they gave the location and that's where we looked at the chart and we we're like that's where we've been watching whales and so we were already picking up speed and headed that way. And I said to Johnny, I said, we're going to go over there, right? And he's like, yeah. So I called Center for Coastal Studies, who's our disentanglement network team in Massachusetts. And they said, we don't have a lot of details because the fishermen didn't give a full report on Channel 16, but we just overheard this on the radio. I'm sure the Coast Guard's about to call you. It's a very nice day out. So if you want to start to get ready to go, we will be there in half an hour and we can confirm the situation for you that way you're ready to go as soon as we say yes it's an active entanglement so we get out there we find the whale it's we could see it from a mile and a half away because it's got a bright orange huge poly float like and it's thrashing around so before we even get to the whale i call center for coastal studies back and i say hey it is indeed a humpback whale that's entangled we see it right now here's our location. We'll update you when we get caught up and see what's going on. So they started to pack the boat and get ready to launch. Um, and when we got there, it was a calf. It was a Jabiru's calf. And this whale is the one that already had that really tight 
rope wrapped around it that really ugly deep scar i think i talked about it on another podcast episode because mm. for weeks no one was sure if the rope was still in there and it was growing and growing and growing into the entanglement mm. and so it has like this really deep wrap scar around its torso which did you think came off but now this poor whale's entangled again the calf yeah the calf was entangled is again the mom and- around the mom was there and she's like touching the calf. She's so close to it the whole time. And I was like, oh my God, now she's going to get entangled too. Like, this is oh, not good. I wonder if that's happened. Oh, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. So then <laughs> they're swimming in circles and swimming in circles and swimming in circles. And the calf is just thrashing and breathing really hard. And the mom's trumpeting. And it's just like, it's so hard mm-hmm. to watch. And so we're trying to take pictures and videos and figure out like, where is the line on the whale's body? Cause we can see it coming out underneath and the buoys are out behind it and um finally we see that it's it's draped over or wrapped over the left pectoral flipper but it doesn't seem to be anywhere else and how fast the calf's moving I'm like it can't be that many pots like because it's swimming pretty fast but it's swimming in a circle so like maybe it's just stuck there swimming like on a mm-hmm, leash yeah. so we talked to the other whale watch boats in the area because we're like we're not going to spend our whole trip on this this is like so horrific for our people to watch like people are crying on the deck the naturalist Mm -hmm. is trying not to cry on the microphone so we get photos and videos we give an update and then we there's other whales like less than a mile away so we go look at the other whales and keep an eye on them in the binoculars because ccs is on their way to the whale so we're winding down towards the end of our trip we have a phenomenal trip we have like valley and sword who were an item before Valley and Jawa. This was 10 days mm-hmm. ago. Um, we're breaching and peck slapping. And then we saw dolphins. And then we went back over to follow up with Jabiru and Calf. And they hadn't really moved like less than a quarter mile. So we we're like, cool. Maybe this whale's still dragging gear around, which totally sucks. It had a lot of chafing on its tail stalk. So it was bleeding when we saw it. And at one point, we were like passing back and forth between a couple boats. A private boat tried to go in there and pick up the buoy. Ugh. And we were like, no, stop no, touching it. Like, get out of do. there. So then we kind of, it was a little bit of a bully move, but we just like slowly crept up on Cut the private off. boat until they got spooked and drove off. Good. As you should. And we called Center for Coastal Studies and like, you need to hurry up because people are like, it's a busy day on the water people are starting to get interested and and want to intervene and we want you to be the ones that intervene obviously so we're running out of time we're trying to make arrangements with another boat to babysit them until ccs gets there and the calf takes a really hard turn at the boat very quickly and we can't get away from it and it swims under the bow and it comes out the other side and the gear comes out the other side and then it immediately turns and swims at the stern and like we can't move because it's all happening so fast this is happening in less than 60 seconds it goes under the bow turns and swims to the stern it comes out the port side of the boat starts swimming up towards the bow again fast like you can see its tail slapping as it's swimming so hard at the surface and I have a video which is like most of the time the whale's out of the frame because I'm looking at the whale and I you can hear me say like where's the gear I don't see the gear anymore. And I was like, I turned away from the camera. I was like, John, where's the gear? And I was like, I think the gear's gone. So I turned off the video and I said, don't move the boat because I don't know where this is. And I think it might be like near our propellers. So I don't want to get the gear sucked up in the boat. So I run downstairs and I see people starting to look over the side. So I yell back at one of the other mates and I'm like, tell him to not move the boat. Do not put the engines in gear. And I go down to the corner of the stern and the buoys are stuck to the side of the boat. Oh my God. So I ran and grabbed the gaff. <gasps> what? And I gaffed it Isn't that and crazy? Pulled, pulled it up. And it must have been like just a little bit caught on the rudder or just caught on the corner of the stern the right way wow. and pulled off the whale. Wow. So the whale freed itself using the boat. <laughs> That's super. Uh, do you think it was like a conscious? Like, do you think it was an accident that it happened? Do you think the whale actually was like trying to free itself? Like, I don't have any proof, but the mom kept making it swim in circles, which was making slack in the gear. And then mm. when it swam under the bow and immediately turned and swam back towards the boat, what I think 
the whale felt was the buoys pulled away from the flipper because it was scraping along the bottom of the boat and was like, I'm going to try this again. And then he went really fast. Yeah. And then it went under the stern. The gear got stuck to the boat and pulled off the whale and the whale just took off because it was like, yes, I'm out of here. And the mom. Wow, went Caitlin, saving whales with the and boat. It's like, it's like the exact, brain. it's like the exact <laughs> thing you don't want to have happen, right? I've oh, seen a 100%. private boat swim between the gear and a whale and get stuck to the whale during an active disentanglement effort, which oh like gosh. totally complicates the situation and makes Everything. it way more dangerous. Um, and so like, it's what you don't want to have happen, but like it had the best outcome. Outcome for sure. So we pulled the gear up because now it's evidence, right? And it's stuck to our yeah. boat. So we have to collect it because we can't, off, yeah. move can't move without getting yeah. it off there. And we get to the end of the line and there's this red frayed rope, this section of red frayed rope at the bottom of the line. And it's a weak link. So there's oh. been a new program in Massachusetts to put weak links weak in links. lobster gear for right whales. Just so that and means that we, it already broke it off of the thing. Yeah. And, and it now it just had, yeah, and it worked. And it was just yeah. having the, the remnants of the line wrapped yep. around it. Oh. Yep. And it was a baby whale. So, so yeah, oh, they're so strong. But they're designed, they were designed in, initially for adults. And they weren't sure if a, if a sick whale or an injured whale or a young whale could break it. And a calf broke it. And so it was like Noah came down and collected the gear to take back to the lab to analyze. And they were so excited to see that it worked. That's awesome, Caitlin. What the yeah. heck? So you were literally a part of history? Yeah. <laughs> Dang. When well, they write books on this in years. Caitlin we'll have to send out some autographs from Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you and sign then, up for our uh, whale nerds trip, then you get Oh, my gosh. It's part of the whale nerds oh, merch. No, no. <laughs> So then we didn't see the whales for uh, almost 10 days. And we, we still haven't seen them at Cape Ann Whale Watch. But another boat reported them yesterday in the afternoon. And they were both tail slapping and peck slapping. And they both look really good in the photos. Oh, that's awesome. So they disappeared for nine days, but they're back. Mm, I get shivers down my spine with that stuff. That's Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, it's it proves that that program can work you know that mm -hmm. that very subtle change in the mm -hmm. gear of providing a weak link yeah and that fisherman we looked at we looked at all of the the setup and it had many 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 weak link opportunities in it i verified with the person from noah that came to collect the gear there was actually several other splice uh, methods done that were weak links not as weak as the red breakaway line but yeah um, that were weak links and then there's a plastic piece that most of them have in them that's also a weak link yeah yep, yep. and our boss talked to the fishermen on the phone when we found out whose gear it was and they said wow i'm glad i put that on there yeah oh yeah awesome. i bet that because it, it you know it's not your gear that it happens to right like that's yeah. probably out you know most of the because I mean, no one wants to hurt a whale. Yeah. Nobody know? does. Nobody and so does. they were quite relieved to hear that absolutely the, that the system worked. Well, and then it's people always try to make it, you know, a blaming the fishermen thing, but it's like they don't want to take against their fishery. Like that's a huge right. deal. They could right. they could be shut down, their livelihoods are at stake. Nobody well, wants Well, and they lose they lose their whales. gear. They feel guilty about injuring the animal, you know. It's exactly. Not, nobody nobody, wants, nobody wants to entangle whales. Nobody wants yeah. to kill whales. Nobody wants to hit whales with their boats. It's not a this party versus that party kind of deal. Right. Exactly. So um, so that's kind of the theme of this episode for the remainder of the topics I have prepared is is where yeah. are we at? Yeah. with this problem of entanglement and what's being done to resolve it. So I have this report from NRDC, which is National, National Resource Defense Council. And it's, it's kind of a summary, but also blog post that they made on their websites, just giving a snapshot of like what the data is like right now for the Gulf of St. Lawrence, Southeast Alaska, the Atlantic coast of Canada, and uh, the US and then the Gulf of Maine in particular. So the whales that I see at work. 
In the Gulf of St. Lawrence, 85.7% of humpback whales, up to 59.9% of blue whales, and up to 54.7% of fin whales have scars from previous entanglement events in their life in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. That's more than half of the three main baleen whale species, wow. like half of the individuals that they see in the Gulf of St. Lawrence. Southeast Alaska, 71% of humpback whales have non-lethal entanglements at some point in their life. The US East Coast and Atlantic Canada Coast, 85% of North Atlantic right whales have scars wow. from being entangled in fishing gear. And over half of those have scars from more than one entanglement event. Mm. And then the Gulf of Maine, where I, the whales that I work with, 64.9% of humpback whales have scars from previous entanglement events. That's a lot. Mm. That's a lot of whales. That's and there is some science to support that it's the equivalent of the amount of stress of a migration while pregnant. So yeah. like with um, chompers being mm -hmm. entangled and pregnant, yeah, it's, pretty it's like twice actually. the amount of stress. Mm -hmm. And then they also think that the reporting is only capturing 6% of what's actually happening in the ocean. Wow. Wow. So this report, which I'll put the link to, also has the, the papers and summary reports from the different government uh, agencies that aided in this research. So if you want to comb through the actual papers for all of those um, locations, that is available at the link in the NRDC post. And they have some really nice graphics that really demonstrate the issue as well. But like, it's definitely a big problem, right? Mm -hmm. So this, when you look at the Gulf of Maine, what happened this past year is, especially for the North Atlantic right whale, it's just like this is it's getting very dire. So in March, there was a news story that covered the distribution of the breakaway line, which is what we saw on the entanglement with Jabiru's calf. So they, in the springtime, the state of Massachusetts the Massachusetts Lobstermen Association, the Lobster Foundation of Massachusetts. And then like when I say the state of Massachusetts, that's a division of marine fisheries. So like their version of fish and wildlife, they came together to collaboratively fund and distribute breakaway gear to fishermen for the start of the season as they prep their gear. So they had two types. They had like a, it's called like a finger trap. It's like a sleeve that they can um, tie into their gear or there's these weak ropes, which are red in color. So when the Noah lady came to collect the gear, she's like, I can't say hundred percent that this is one that we passed out, but mm -hmm. this is the type that we the said they need to use for the program. And it breaks at 1700 pounds of force. And it's supposed to be at 60 foot intervals in the buoy line. And the gear was tested and funded by Massachusetts Environmental Trust, and it was demoed last year by some of the like early adopters of this new uh, gear configuration. And most of the program was put together for right whales. So seeing this happen with a baby humpback whale was some pretty good reassurance that there's a good chance that this could work. Work. Yeah, yeah. With right However, I will say we did have an adult humpback whale get entangled in gear through her mouth and she dragged it around for like a week and then got wrapped in more gear and was anchored in place. She was successfully disentangled, but she wow. was unable to break the gear. I don't know if the weak links were in there or not. We don't have that information, but there are still whales getting entangled this season off the coast of Massachusetts that did not break free. Gotcha. So, and it's all situational, I think. Like if it's not the right tension, if it's not the right direction of force, maybe it won't break, but yeah, at least some of them are now having a There's better chance. There. Exactly. So, and then, so, okay. So we're doing weak links, we're doing gear modifications, but what if we just didn't have any ropes in the water? Yup. And so there's a study that's being done by Woods Hole and there's, there's many prototypes out there. There's many options for rope, ropeless gear that are coming very close to being online and commercially available. Um, yeah, but, we, we had that 
we had that guy on the on one of your eight hours, right, Slater? That was a part of some program. Yeah. Yep. I can't. I don't know the name of the program. Was it the lift bag model me. one? It was supposed to be the so. GPS. It, yeah. Was that, like I think they're all gonna have a GPS, but yeah, yeah. They, they're gonna yeah. CO two some sort of CO two cartridge that lifts. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's somewhere it's like gonna be like a buoy release. So the buoy line is like coiled on the trap and then the you trigger the release and then some are gonna be like a CO2 lift bag thing. But the you know what though? Even if it does cost more money for these ropeless traps, right? They're like, cause that's gonna be the big thing is like, okay, well, well now we have to buy all these new traps. Well, yeah. it's like good, raise the price of lobster or yeah. crab or yeah. whatever it is. The right? consumer because- can pay for it. Yeah, that's how it should be a delicacy anyway. People don't get that. Yeah. So with all these models of the ropeless gear that's coming through, one of the biggest issues is like relocating and retrieving. So Woods Hole has recently published a paper about their system. And it's, it's kind of like an underwater version of AIS. So if mm-hmm. any of you that are listening to the podcast know what AIS is, there's two options that you can have for your vessel to transmit its location via satellite. Mm-hmm. It can either be, I think it's class A, it talks directly to the satellite all the time, regardless of location, or it can be class B, which is in a coastal relay. So your vessel talks to other vessels that are class A, and then the class A vessel sends your information to the satellite. So if you're too far away from a class A vessel, you won't transmit on AIS. Yeah. So this system that Woods Hole is testing is this self-localizing system. So basically, boats would have this receiver on them, and the gear would transmit information constantly, and it would be this network of receivers getting information of the boats passing by and saying, hi, I'm here. This is my ID number. This is the owner of this ID number. This is where I am. And it would triangulate based on all the receivers on the boats where the gear is mm. at all times. So mm. that way it's encrypted information. So you can't just go find, you know, Joe Schmo's gear. You can yeah. only decode your own stuff. But fisheries management could have the, the keys to know whose gear is where. And then you also would be able to at least see like, oh, someone else's gear is here. I'm not going to set right on top of it. So if enough fishermen had these receivers, then they would at least they would still know where they can and can't set. So they're not setting right on top of someone else because that's also kind of the art of the buoys, right? It's like, oh, well, I see this line of traps that are orange and white. I'm, I'm not, not going to set my there. line right there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so they put out a paper about where they're at with the transponder and, and relay system. And uh it seems like pretty promising, but again, it's going to be very expensive as an initial startup. So kind of interesting radio modems and trans transmission information. If you really want to read the details, like I personally had a hard time sifting through it all, <laughs> but the best way I could boil it down and simplify it was like, it's like an underwater version of AIS. So I will put the That's... link on our Facebook page if you feel very inclined. <laughs> Could you, it's, could you like imagine a world where like disentanglements no longer exist or like entanglements no longer exist, you know, like that. I don't know. I, I feel like that is like the main thing. That'd that be really a huge affecting. step for us. Like that. Yeah. I feel like that's, I feel like that's the main thing affecting, you know, I think vessel strike is also up there, but I think mm-hmm. entanglement's probably a little bit more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and it's a, it's a lot it can be a lot slower and more horrific death if that's yeah. how it ends. Yeah. Like I just, I I've said this many times on the podcast, but I will never forget Michael Moore giving that talk at ACS in 2014 and saying, you know, he put up an image of this right whale and gave this right whale story and then said it took two years for this whale to die. Oh. We might as well just go back to whaling because it's more for humane. Sure. Yeah. Like, we've got to find a better way and it's not yeah. it's not the fisherman's fault it's it's not you know the technology and, and exists guys, we, we it have does. the ability to solve this problem it does 100 percent, and that's that's you know the hopeful part about it and like you said it's not the fisherman's fault nobody wants to entangle whales yeah. you can't just you can't just start saying you know fishermen are 
evil monsters you know they're just trying to support their families and, and live their lives but at the same time it's like we've progressed so much in humanity people are going to outer space we have electric cars we have x y and z i think ropeless fishing gear is a very obtainable yeah, goal to have for sure so then in addition to having the equipment you then also have to have the the legal side catch up to things, right? So different states are in different stages of this. Um, California has a bill that's still currently in assembly. It's AB 534, and it's about ropeless fishing gear in California. Again, I'm not a lawyer. A lot of this was very dense information to get through, but here's my summary of what is happening with AB 534. As far as I can tell, the bill has not died. It's just been, it was postponed from its last hearing and has not made it back to the committee floor. So it hasn't been voted on. It has been modified. um, And it proposes that ropeless gear be required on or before November 1st of 2025 when fishing in a national marine sanctuary. So this is for fixed fishing gear for pot fisheries in a national marine sanctuary boundary. So Monterey. Very, yep. very Monterey, yeah, Cordell great. Bank, Greater Farallons, Channel Islands. Yeah, it's a lot of the California coastline. Yeah. It is. Um, especially where Dungeness crab is fished. That's most of where the Dungeness crab fishery is. So there is an extension written in to allow for two years of authorized uh, delay of that date if viable gear is not commercially available because we're assuming by 2025 we're going to have something that's workable but maybe not so there's an allowance for two more years to delay um and then it also says on or before july 1st of 2022 so next year the department of fish and wildlife must issue an annual report of all commercially available suitable ropeless gear and have a report of the performance of that gear so like yield tough uh weight like all kinds of like has to have a full spec up of how well this mm-hmm. gear performs. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough, but also like that's part of like when you go to buy a fishing reel and you look on the website, they give you the full specs. They give you a performance report for sure. Do all kinds yeah. of stuff. That's standard for that. Very industry. True. Very true. Same thing with you go to buy a laptop. It gives you all the specs and how specs. it performs. Yep. Very true. Um, and then it also if you use ropeless gear, this bill says that you would be authorized to continue to fish in your fishery if there was a time area closure in effect from the state due to entanglement risk, which makes sense, right? Like you're like, well, I don't have ropes in the water, so I can still fish for Dungeness crab. Which is a a huge benefit for the fishermen. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. I've heard mixed feelings about it from the fishermen. I don't really know. I don't have a keen eye on how to interpret the flaws in a bill like that um, from the fishing side. There was really not a lot of language in there about who pays for this. Um, So that part I would like some more clarity on. So if you're good at reading legal documents, I'm mediocre at it. Let me know. (laughs) Um, But I would like to, I would like to hope that there's going to be a fund from the state for this to subsidize it for the fishermen similar to in massachusetts how they did the breakaway gear this year that's that's what it has to be it has to be subsidized by the government or like you said you know the people that buy these fish it's you know 30 cents extra per pound of fish whatever it is and that has to go back to the fishermen the market can't just be like oh we're putting a green tax on it and just getting you for extra money and not paying the fishermen that money It's a very complicated chain of events that happens and many dollars go across many hands before they get to the fishermen. For sure. So, so ropeless, hopefully it's coming soon. I think we can do this safer. We've been talking about that for a long time. Yeah. Forever. (laughs) But like, I don't know, like this year, like even in Santa Barbara, I think we've had probably at this point in the summer in mid-august so far we've probably had six or seven entangled whales 
and I don't think we've had a single successful disentanglement this year. I don't think we've had a single one here. Everyone has been south of us, like Santa Barbara that I've heard of, mm-hmm. or off Big Sur. That was, a, was the closest one to us that I've heard of. Have you seen any crab gear? It's not really. That's not the no. season for it. It usually closes yeah, well, in June. Why are they all in Santa Barbara? I suppose um, spot prawn. Spot prawn. We have spot prawn there. Yeah, there, there, um, we have. Well, we don't really have spot prawn buoys here, but in Newport you do. Down in Carmel Bay, and yeah, off, we saw some off Big we Sur. You'll see back. some, but it's not a huge yeah, we, fishery. We did have. Area. We had at least one calf in spot prawn. We had one calf in Dungeness. Um, we've had a couple different whales in, in different gear. Um, but it's been a it's been a rough summer here. Um, and usually like, you know, we'll have a couple of successful disentanglements is, you know, usually what our summer looks like, but we haven't had a single one this year, yeah. which really sucks. We had one calf that showed up off of the Gaviota coast with its mom and we thought it was stuck to the bottom. And Dave, my boss, flew a coast guard helicopter over it and it appeared that it was stuck in the bottom and so the next day everybody was ready got all the NOAA boats all the disentanglement team ready i was there to fly the drone we're all ready to go they did one more flight over the whale just to sit just to confirm that it was there it wasn't there the gear that we thought was the gear was still there but then about two weeks later we had a whale wash up dead that we thought was the same whale mm-hmm. that happened this later and i well not but... with the dead whale summary part but remember that whale that was anchored off of 17 mile yeah. drive and then they went to go out and day. make cuts the next day and it was gone but there was still gear there yeah yeah where'd it go so yeah who knows? Tough. You know, you know really tough. I think that when they wiggle around so much, sometimes they do something right out of all the wiggling they do. Yeah. Well, if I mean, it, they don't thrash like, for not, no reason. Yeah. If it's not in their mouth, though, you know, like, yeah, it, it, it's possible it could come off, I think. But when they're through their mouth and around a peck fin wrapped once and then over the fluke, like, it's tough. Yeah. That's when it's yeah. like, okay, what do you well, do? Yeah. And yeah. The, we, we had another calf right on Santa Cruz Island, like hugging probably 50 feet from the island. And it was a calf that we had seen for probably a week and a half straight. We saw entangled and then the mom and baby disappeared and we haven't seen them since. Yeah. Well, and that's crazy how that story ended. That's a crazy part. There's so many times where, especially in California, you would see an entangled whale and if they didn't get telemetry on it that day, it was gone exactly and it happens here after a disentanglement too like valley is the whale that was anchored in place that they successfully disentangled and she after they cut her free she was gone Gone. for three weeks and then we saw her yeah i think they probably go on vacation after that yeah and the same thing with jabru and calf they were gone for nine days no one knows where they went they did come back but there were so many nights where it was like the last trip of the day and the disentanglement wasn't, the team wasn't there in California. And I was like, we're never seeing this whale again. But it's just the thing. Like we tried to put a telemetry buoy on one this year. We motivated, we had, we had, we had uh, California Fish and Wildlife on the whales for five hours. And then 20 minutes before we could get there and put this buoy on it, they lost it. And, mm-hmm. and we spent two and a half hours searching for the thing and we never found Ugh. it again. So, so it's just so frustrating sometimes yeah. and like you know and, and it's not it's not easy you have to get yeah. the right weather gap you have to get people to stay on the whale you have to motivate the team you have to get everything ready you have to get the gear ready you have to do this they need that more and the other for it i, I think yeah. there's a lot i've seen so many detangled entangled whales in monterey and it's like we gotta wait for someone to come from san francisco we gotta do this we gotta call our mom or dad and then like it's like by that time, the whale's gone. Like there's, yeah. there's, they need more funding for it. Cause to be honest, if, if a whale boat could make a cut and it was like safe, uh, it would be, you know, or at awesome, least put telemetry on something. If there was a couple because more buoys around and somebody that's already on the water had one, hook it on there. A small boat. There you the go. other, the other thing that I get frustrated with, with Noah is the fact that, like you said, they need more funding, but you can't really do anything or record anything if you're on a NOAA boat or you're with the disentanglement team and share it. 
Mm-hmm. I feel like if we were able to share more of these images and share these stories more and show the successful disentanglements mm-hmm. that, that the teams up yeah, and down the coast are a part of, sh- you have to be an outsider yeah. that films it or whatever, you yeah. know? So yeah. I think that also hinders their ability to create funding and raise yeah. awareness. And I get super frustrated with it because there's been successful disentanglements that I've been a part of yeah. that I film that I get photos of. And nope, you got to slap the permit number on there. You got to send it in. Yeah. You got to wait yeah. two years. And by that time, nobody cares about that whale. It's old yeah. news, you know? So that's yeah, super that, frustrating. That happened with well, me but... in, in uh, Newport Beach. It was a gray whale. Like I said, I, I had a successful thing. Got the yeah. over, got sent them video and pictures right then on my, from my laptop from the Western Pride to yep. them. And they were, they were yep. on the little boat and they ended up getting it. But, and then they held, it was cool. They came over and held up all the gear to us after they got it. That yeah. Wow. That's cool. Um, yeah, so when the NOAA people came and collected the gear from us last week, I asked the the specialist that was there, I said, can I share photos of all these weak links and splices and of the breakaway line? And they said, yes, as long as there's no, the um, ID numbers and the boat ID name are the- not in the picture. So I would like to make a little wrap up like video or something and share Absolutely. it on Whale Nerds at some point. Um sure maybe on our YouTube or something to talk about the weak links, because I've also had passengers who have heard the story or were there that day and have been on the boat since then that are like, I wish we could amplify this story because this is, it is an incredible story. It's a good story. had a great outcome and it shows that the new programs are working. So I have a platform. I have a soapbox. I'm in it. I'm on it. (laughs) (laughs) I'll create a little episode 87 highlight. and post it there. Cut out the part where Caitlin's talking about her encounter and everything. <laughs> this is a good episode. <sighs> yeah. This is a great episode. It's tough. I, and I, I honestly think that ropeless gear, at least maybe it's, maybe it's hopeful, maybe it's optimistic that it's, it's in the near future. But well, I and like I, yeah. I was just saying, like, like, like I was saying, imagine a world where you can completely eliminate entanglements for whales yeah i mean we need to play offense instead of just trying to play defense with disentanglement teams i mean i talked to the disentanglement team in central california one time and they said we blow through our allocated budget from noaa on one disentanglement exactly how in one year they had 40 responses okay if they already have the telemetry buoys they already have the stuff to cut all the if they have all of the that, gas right? how the, much the fuel would it cost? insurance the, fuel okay. updated okay. gear okay. batteries What's insurance? a million uh, training I mean, a thousand training a year. it's not that much money there's no way they both do it in one disentanglement their, there's their no budget way. is five tiny, bucks tiny dude fuel to run after these whales is not that expensive like uh, you're talking a couple hundred bucks if they like yeah. had to go for five days straight or something. Yeah. I mean, sometimes like some of them are multi-day responses. They're out of town. So then they also have to put the crew up dockage for think the about, boat for the night, about, all this stuff. Think about this one. We just, we were just trying to do with the whale that was um, that apparently freed itself and then washed up. We had two well, or helicopter three different thing, that's a little different. Post guard yeah. helicopters. We had the NOAA boat on standby, the big, you know, Noah boat. We had Dave's boat. We had eight different crew. You know, we had the we had the the cutter boat. We had Couldn't it's a million different good things. Samaritan kind of thing though. Like you're absolutely telling me that the Coast Guard. Well, that's a volunteer. Sent to build a Noah. I don't know if they do. I'm they s- might. Who knows? That's I'm what I'm saying. Sure like, do. Dude, that's what the whale watch companies never do. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, and they do exactly. a lot of standing by and reporting and documenting yeah. for free. I've been on so many trips where we just yeah. My that photo that I put up a minute ago. That's my favorite photo, and and I probably wouldn't have got that had we had not found that calf that was entangled that we followed twenty miles yeah. out of the bay, and then ended up coming back in at sunset and having those lunch feeding whales, yeah. which yeah. was in October. <laughs> Just saying. Plug. Shameless plug. Shameless. <laughs> hey, that was that calf was ended up freeing itself. So good outcome. Just so, anyways, let's go see how- some happy, hungry whales in October together. Yeah, as friends. As friends, as colleagues, as whale nerds. Well, there you go. I mean, we have 15 spots left for our trip. So Mm -hmm. if you'd like to book a trip with us, it's a three-day trip. Three six-hour whale watches with Blue Ocean um, out of Moss Landing. And there's a couple other fun goodies in there. We have a lecture with John Ryan, 
who is, I don't even know what you would say his title is, a, a, He's a hydrophone technician, yeah. <laughs> acoustician, right? So it should be a really fun time. And like I said, there's wow. 15 spots left. Um, so if you guys want to join us and hang out with us and see some whales, it's a gr- honestly all of our favorite times for whale watching. Yeah, I love yeah, October. October is the best. The whales have it's been the here the whole time. It's just that the weather is like calming down and beautiful. So yeah, save some anchovies for October, boys. <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> Maybe save me a turtle. There's so many That's jellies for a little bit much. The, the, oh, your moon jelly video is cool, Slater. Yeah, so you saw that on Sunday. Yeah. I pulled into a, a smack of jellies, yeah, and there was a billion moons. Yeah, it looked really pretty. I was the just water praying cool. for a humpback whale to the humpback gods. I was like, please send a humpback whale through here because <laughs> I, I have to recreate a photo of a whale swimming through moon jellies. Yeah. It looks like stars, yeah, it does, or snow, whatever, dude. Beautiful. I I was I was just looking through my Inspire footage and I have a blue whale swimming through a single sea nettle. <laughs> they don't, nothing really like they swimming care. through they a don't big care whatsoever. smack of them though. Like it's imagine yeah. a blue whale, Adam, with a full like moon jelly around moon the whole jellies. Entire, oh, yeah, like dude, your whole literally frame in moon the jellies sky. Like it looks solo. It looks like they'd be in space. One of one. Slater would probably call me crying and be like, this just happened. That'd be the best. I'd sell it. I'd, I would just sell, I'd sell it as an NFT. <laughs> I'd sell it to myself as an NFT. <laughs> I bid on my own print. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode number 87. We appreciate you guys. If you made it this far, um, our Instagram just hit 7,000 followers today, which Woo-hoo! is really cool. Um, hey, what's our, uh, what's our secret whale of the week? Jabiru? Jabiru's calf? Turkey bird. We jabberu. It's J A B I R U. It's some kind of bird. Jabberu. J A B E R O O. No. J A B I R U. Jabberu. Jabberu. Yeah. Some kind of bird. I don't know. Anyways, that's the secret whale of the week. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. We appreciate you so, so much. Yeah. Uh, for supporting our work every month that really helps make this podcast possible. And if you don't follow us on social media, it's at whale nerds on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a YouTube. And if you could take a moment to subscribe or rate the podcast, wherever you listen to it, that also really helps um, because it pushes it up in the suggested list for other listeners to find us. So really appreciate that. If you could do that. And check out our website, thewhalenerds.com slash trips to book a trip with us. <laughs> or just look at our website. It's kind of cool. Or just, yeah. There's a couple <laughs> films on there. There's some cool stuff on there. So, right. Yeah. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. See ya. Peace.